0: Solid executive leadership is essential to the success of any hospital, but the job of a rural hospital president is unique with its own set of challenges and opportunities. So, how do rural hospital presidents set the stage for the future and lead their organizations with purpose?
1: With a boots on the ground perspective, a focus on the future, and a crystal clear vision.
0: I'm Rachel Lott.
1: And I'm JJ Hodshire,
0: And this is Rural Health Rising.
1: Welcome to episode 120 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital.
0: And I'm Rachel Lott, Chief Communications Officer.
1: So, Rachel, I'm excited. I'm excited for many reasons. Number one, uh, the next guest is someone that I'm getting to know well and uh, becoming a friend of and with. And uh, I think in part because we both took the helm of a ship during life's most difficult challenges for healthcare. Uh, during COVID, uh, around that time. And so our guest today is someone uh, who started her journey as CEO. Now listen, she's got a long history uh, in healthcare, far greater than mine, Um, but uh, started at the helm of a ship uh, two and a half years ago, navigating through the pandemic. And now uh, as we find our post-pandemic era, um, we are very excited to have our guest here today with us.
0: That's right. We're talking with someone who is a rural hospital president right here in Michigan.
1: Our guest today is Helen Johnson, president of sparrow Eaton Hospital. We're going to learn a little bit more about what that means of Sparrow, the brand. Uh, Welcome to Rural Health Rising. It's great to have you, Helen.
2: Thank you, JJ. Thank you, Rachel. It's my pleasure, and I appreciate the invitation.
0: So to start, Helen, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at sparrow Eaton Hospital? Sure, my
2: pleasure. I have been in healthcare um, for thirty years, so I might have a couple years on JJ, but not many. Um, <laughs> once you get, you know, once you get a certain uh, amount under your belt, it, it all starts to feel like you've in dog years, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, thank and, God you
1: started when you were ten. Yes, so yes, exactly.
2: Awesome. Before all those child labor laws. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So Look yes, I. Days. Yeah, I started my career out as an oncology nurse, working in um, Marquette in the Upper Peninsula. So talk about rural. I have always worked in rural. I love rural communities. Uh, kind of worked my way down the lakeshore through those years. I worked in Petoskey, worked in Manistee, worked in Ludington. Um, if you're noticing a theme there, always by the water.
0: Yeah, and, good for
2: and, you. Yeah, it was beautiful. Uh, Michigan is just such a beautiful state. And then had this really fabulous opportunity put in front of me to uh, come to Charlotte and work in Eaton County and work with the Spiral Health System. Um, I had been working for about 15 years with Spectrum Health, so certainly understood how systems work. And uh, this was my first time to permanently take uh, this president position. I had done it as an interim a couple of times and really enjoyed it. Um but yeah, I would say pretty bold, pretty uh, fearless, I guess, to jump in, move to a community I didn't know anything about in the middle of a worldwide pandemic,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: um, but knew this was something that I could do and that I wanted to do. So uh, I haven't really looked back since then.
1: Well, we look forward to the conversation today, which will focus on you know, what you have been doing uh, in your respective hospital, what the system's been up to, uh, and really to dive in a little bit deeper into rural health in general, because your perspective, while in a system, is providing care in rural communities. So before we have that dialogue, um, we do this on each of our podcasts, so we get to know our guests just a little bit better, uh, and our listener gets to know you and your background. And so we always start with a question, and the question is, why? Uh, I want to know, Helen, what motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning each and every day to do the great work that you do? What is your why?
2: So, my why is always about the people. And I think um, in rural healthcare, it's just so much more personal. And the impact that you see um, of your decisions. Are, are that much more transparent to you. And I la- I would like to use a story to example give you an example of what is my why. So before we started, we were uh, gone down memory lane a little bit about that I loved track when I was in high school. And one of the hospitals that I worked at, um, my old track coach came and got cardiac rehab there. And every day I would walk through and see him and say good morning to him and could not Get myself to call him by his first name still, even after all those years. He was <laughs> still, huh? still coach. Yeah, still coach and, you know, Mr. and all of that. And um, he ended up needing um, a cardiac transplant. And his wife uh, came to me after that event had happened, you know, with tears coming down her face and said, you know, my husband wouldn't have been here if he wouldn't have had cardiac rehab. And that was a program that I fought really hard for. Because mm-hmm. in in rural you can't have everything, but I knew mm-hmm. how important it was, and to see uh, that full circle of giving back to somebody that helped shape who I was as a young person was mm-hmm. really important to me. And I get up every every day looking for opportunities like that to touch and help somebody. Um, th- I may never know them in the way that I knew my coach. Sure. But that's uh, that's my why.
1: That's awesome. You know, obviously, you've had a lot of purpose uh, in your life. Uh, you have passion. I can attest to that. You know, the purpose is certainly the work that you've done from an early age uh, as an oncology nurse uh, working with that population. And then you made the transition to the, yes. suits, to yes. the suits, as we're called. <laughs> so the perspective for you is a little unique because you are, uh, you know, an RN. So it gives you a little bit more of advantage. Uh, let's say, than those who do not come out of healthcare into the presidency. But, you know, you started uh, your early days uh, in your presidency uh, at Sparrow Eaton a Hospital in your full-time assignment. And I, I want to talk a little bit about the structure of, uh, you know, what you faced when you ac- accepted this role. So I do believe that Sparrow had just acquired, am I wrong?
2: Relatively, yes. Um, October of 2019 and we all know about four or five months later, the, the world kind of blew up. Yeah. Um, and I started in January of 21. So it took them, you know, it takes a little bit of time to find the right person, the right fit. And that interview process to come into a president's position can be, you know, six to eight months long. Uh, there's a oh, yeah, 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 a lot absolutely. of vetting. You just want to make sure that uh, the person not only has the technical skills, but also is a, is a right fit for that community because every community is mm-hmm. a little different.
1: They are. So here it is. The pandemic's raging. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're arriving on scene, you know, and you're now at, you know, this specific place at a specific time. Uh, we call that purpose-driven. Uh, Rachel and I, we believe in in certain purposes. Uh, we believe that this is our mission field. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for such a time as this, you know, we have been called to a purpose and a reason. And you were brought to Sparrow Eaton. Yes. And talk to us about what that experience was like for you as a new leader to that organization. Not only are you faced with fighting a pandemic, but also looking at learning a new organization. Um, so how did you connect your teams across the organization during this period?
2: So it was, it was very tough um, because again, you weren't, uh, getting together in groups. Um, I right. you're doing a lot of these meet and greets um, virtually. You know, as a new president, you're a new person in town. I mean, whether you're the bank president, the school superintendent, yeah. or the or the hospital president, usually there's uh, receptions. You're out meeting people. You're joining Rotary. You're getting involved in civic yeah. organizations. A lot of those opportunities were not there for me, so mm-hmm. I had to find different ways to connect with people. Um, and it was, it was deep and it was fast. And um, yeah. I like to think that some of my skill set from being a nurse of building quick rapport and quick relationship with people and really doing that um, broad assessment really fast to find out wh- how do I need to work helped me a lot. Um, I used to have a sign on my door uh, during the pandemic, you know, a lot of us were, it was a very emotional time for a lot of us. And, you know, you kind of mm-hmm. took me back there to mm-hmm. ground zero there, JJ, with your with your talk about yeah. that. And um, sure. I used to have a sign on my door that said it was a quote from Joan of Arc. And it said, you know, I was born for a time like this. And yeah. all of those deep experiences you have with, you know, decades of operational um, knowledge coming together um, really helped me very quickly stand up a lot of processes I knew how to make connections. I knew like one person at Sparrow when I came here. And uh, thankfully, that person had worked at the organization for a long time. I had a great board. You know, your community hospitals a lot of times really are relying on your board. My executive team was very experienced. We have longevity here. And that Mm -hmm. is a gift for people to know deeply their job and the community and the
0: people that they're taking care of. Very much. So what has the past year or so, however long we can uh, go back and say is our kind of post-pandemic era, but what has that been like for you? How have you approached your role or your work differently in this new time after the, the COVID days, if you will?
2: Yeah, Rachel, it's like the wheels just started spinning faster on my bus, Um, because Mm -hmm. we were so focused. That feels very real to me. (laughs) We were so focused on COVID and we were so focused on mitigating. And I mean, we had parts of our hospitals that were shut down. Uh, we had elective surgeries, you know, across the United States. We had all sorts of, um, Mm -hmm. inhibitions and regulations and things that stopped us from some of our traditional strategies that we would be enacting. And um, it feels like we're trying to make up for lost time <laughs> in this last year. It's like yeah. hyperspeed. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, I think it does give us more space now to work on those issues, but they've been building up in the same way that as an individual, perhaps people put off some of their preventive health care, uh, whether it's mammograms, mm-hmm. colonoscopies, whatever it was. I think in a broader sense, uh, the business of healthcare. care put off some of those things that we needed to be doing uh, because we just didn't have capacity to do all of that
0: and take care of our communities. Right. It's funny you say that, that that the wheels started spinning faster because I felt like for us, kind of the way I've described it is that with our growth strategy moving out of the pandemic, it was like as much as we wanted to like stumble out of the pandemic and pause and take a breath, we had to accelerate out of the pandemic to Really survive in this new day and age of healthcare.
1: You know, um, Helen, I've often said, and Rachel's probably sick of hearing this, but uh, you know, my job, our job as leaders, is to cast a vision. Mm-hmm. And I often share proverbs uh, with with my staff. And uh, there's a, a famous uh, proverb that says, "Where there is no vision, the people perish." Uh, and it was true about an uh, you know about a country. It was true about uh, a population. It was it can be true about an organization. Absolutely, uh, there's no you know no leader who sets forth a vision, um, you know, then surely those people have no direction and they perish. Uh, whether it's in the biblical times physically, mm-hmm. or if it's in our our notion more of you know procedurals or whatever it is that the the organization dies. Absolutely. Okay, and so from your perspective. You know, you're new to the CEO role. Um, I'm not sure how Sparrow affiliate hospitals operate, but I would assume that you and your board come together and you help set priorities uh, for your specific Mm -hmm. hospital that may feed up into uh, the priorities of the organization. But ultimately, you know, the next question really really begs the question about setting those type of priorities. So, um, you know, how how do you yourself – Cast the vision, um, and I guess I'm going to ask. Maybe it's maybe it's secret, but you know, what is your vision uh, and goals for Sparrow Eaton Hospital today?
2: Yeah, and I, I would say I I take um, a, a similar stance to you, JJ. I have a quote that I have written on a whiteboard on the other side of my desk uh, from General Stanley McChrystal, and it says, "Great leaders absorb fear and exude hope." People mm-hmm. want to follow light. People don't follow fear. People follow the person that okay. says, I have a plan and let's go in this direction. Um, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and making sure that your staff, uh, top to bottom, boardroom, to bedside, understand what that vision is and what their part in it is, is very important. Um, We use strategies, process improvement strategies, very similar to uh, the Cleveland Clinic or University of Michigan or Johns Hopkins, where you're taking your strategy and cascading it down right to the bedside so that those people that are cleaning those rooms understand I'm helping control infections. I'm helping my patients feel safer. I'm helping increase quality and engagement um the facilities team, the nursing team I think a lot of times we we focus on our clinical teams and making sure our clinical teams understand protocols and and growth strategies. we don't always understand how the rest of the house works and and that's so important that correct those other those other people in operations uh, that are behind the scenes a little more are are brought into that strategy because, you know, that that finance team or that planning team or uh, your facilities team can really slow down or speed up your achievement of those goals. So, you know, there. Um, my goal for this organization. Uh, we sit in a unique geography. We're about 20, 25 miles outside of Lansing. So why we're rural we are also somewhat of a a bedroom or suburban community for the Lansing area. Mm -hmm. So I am capitalizing on that fact every chance I get. When I am in Lansing, I sound like an advertisement. You can almost park in my lobby. You are almost always next in line. Um, Getting healthcare in a smaller hospital is is different than going to a tertiary quaternary Mm -hmm. center. Um, Mm -hmm. But in Mm -hmm. the same way, In the same way we want our clinicians to work at the top of their license, I want this hospital to function at the top of its capabilities. We need to have a great partner to be able to hand those things that are beyond us over to, which we now have not only in Sparrow, but in Michigan Medicine. But we need to really excel at those things that are within our wheelhouse and and give excellent service to our community and Mm. have them have trust in us.
1: That's right.
0: So what about um, the many rural specific challenges facing your organization and your community? How do you overcome those? Yeah, I mean, recruitment is no easier here than it probably is in Hillsdale or in Bad Axe or in
2: Newberry or any of those That's other true. places yeah. around the state. Yeah. Um, our pay structure is very different than our urban counterparts. So so those are big challenges. Um and again w- one of the things that I think is very important is healthcare needs to get back to making it attractive to come into healthcare. And even even mm-hmm. talking to some of those kids in our high schools about how do you get into healthcare? I had a meeting just last week with a young lady, how do I get into healthcare? I really want to do this. Here's how you can become a phlebotomist. And I see a phlebotomist mm-hmm. career path sometimes lead people to be a physician. Very so true. You have to have probably a thousand different strategies that you're, that you're enacting almost all at once. And it's um, whether it's on advocacy. And I know JJ does a lot of this for Hillsdale and, and for rural, I want to applaud you and thank you for your voice on rural. You, you bring that up um, as a, as a continuous drumbeat for us. And, you know, when you're advocating for your own hospital your voice is being heard across the state and beyond about how important rural is. Sure. And that mm-hmm. advocacy, um, this is the closest I've ever been to our legislature being yeah. here in Lansing. Yeah. And it's pretty
1: cool. Yeah. It
2: is. It's, I I yeah. take, um, I optimize that opportunity yeah. every, every time I can.
1: So let's talk a little bit um, about the structure of your hospital i want to i want to interject that if i could here just Mm -hmm. so our listeners get to know a little bit better you know not everybody understands the function of corporate and affiliate Mm -hmm. and just you know if we could take a moment just because rachel's going to ask a question that really kind of segues into that um so so could you explain the relationship that your hospital has in the structure of the larger parent organization um so we have a better understanding of that
2: yeah, um, and there's a there's a several different ways that these integrations can happen where the hospital and the board retains its own fiduciary responsibilities and then some hospitals don't retain that fiduciary responsibility, meaning that their board has some latitude to make independent decisions or they're more of a community advisory board. Now the the boards that Sparrow has maintained are full fiduciary, Boards, so they still have that responsibility for oversight of quality, medical staff credentialing, our budget, um, but other things. I mean, there there are parts of the authority matrix that mm-hmm. are put into that integration document that says, you know, decisions beyond X must be approved by the the corporate party, sure. and mm-hmm. that might include. Uh, you know, God forbid firing the president or, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. you know, closing down services at a hospital, right. um, things that would really impact the brand or would impact that larger system, the corporate entity is going to want oversight of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, healthcare is local, healthcare is always local. And for us to understand um, what our community needs, that's what the system is relying on is that local expertise of myself and my team to say, you know, what are we hearing in the community? What are we seeing in the community? Where do we think things are going to move in the community
0: mm-hmm.
2: and, and make those connections with um, businesses and um, other entities in the, in the area that need healthcare. care? So uh, that's, that's somewhat the function between corporate and, yeah. and local.
1: Yeah, and the community size that you serve would be approximately how large?
2: Eaton County, um, and we we provide care to you know pretty much all of Eaton County. Um, there's there is one more hospital in Eaton County, um, but Eaton County has about 110,000 residents. So um, the nice thing with with our affiliation with Spiro. We have seen some uh, bi-directional transfers, and that's pretty unique uh, from a small community hospital to get transfers from your uh, tertiary center, which does happen. And Mm -hmm. I will also get lateral transfers from the other community hospitals. That's huge. It is huge. And, you know,
0: that's the beauty of being part of a system is you're not really on your own anymore.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So
0: that is a perfect segue into my next question, which is, you know, as a rural hospital that's part of a larger health system, how do you connect and integrate with your sparrow counterparts across the system and at the flagship Sparrow Hospital in Lansing?
2: Yeah. And there's there's many areas that you would consider um more of those building blocks functions like human resources, finances, uh, all of that stuff is um that team comes out of um, corporate and we get corporate Mm -hmm. allocations for that we still have to Mm -hmm. we still have the overhead jj i can't i can't tell you it's all bright and rosy and they just give me all this stuff for free (laughs) Uh, i still have to pay for it Um,
1: oh that's funny
2: but um you know it's also areas like lab and pharmacy where sometimes in the rural communities you do struggle to find those experts um, in managing a lab or managing a pharmacy and they have that deeper bench. So they run the policies, the protocols, the surveys, um, all of that. Um, And then we run more of the local, the the clinical, the nursing departments, and there's just great opportunities to probably matrix more of those and, and find more efficiencies and um, being -hmm. able to rely on that deep bench is is really really beneficial. Um,
1: yeah,
2: I've, I've had that happen in other systems where uh, I was the chief operating officer and the interim president at the same time, yeah. and my chief nurse left, and um, I was like, "Oh God, now I'm a team of one here in this hospital," yeah. and yeah. the system was actually able to send me um, a chief nurse uh, to work with me on an interim basis. It's incredible. So isn't it? yeah, you know, the it's resources and. You can take a take a deep breath, I guess, once you know that yeah. they kind of have your back like that.
1: Yeah. And in, in recent news, um, there's been an affiliation talked about, which I know you can't talk a lot about, <laughs> but uh, I think it is public yes. knowledge now that April one. Uh, yeah. And so, um, what excites you about that?
0: Well, Wait, first explain what it is for our, oh, I'm sorry. N- for our listeners outside of Michigan who listeners. don't know what yes. JJ is talking about. For our about. listeners
1: outside the state of Michigan, they're probably thinking, what is this? Uh, Hillsdale Hospital has purchased a spare... No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> if, uh, if Helen, you could explain a little bit about what's happened recently for those, to Rachel's point, who are not from Michigan.
2: Yeah, well, I was just going to break into a uh, chorus of the victors. <laughs> uh, but, you know, get, some um, people
1: would get that. Our Buckeye fans uh, yes, would not. Would. Still.
2: well, we, we you know we have a thing about Buckeyes. <laughs> we do, don't um, we? <laughs> we do. And um, no, uh, University of Michigan acquired Sparrow Health System officially as of April one. So uh, that's very exciting news. We're working to create, a, you know, a larger statewide system of health. Really looking at that integrated medical group. And um, and also very focused on hiring that, you know highest level cadre of health health professionals and, and giving them a great system, both academic, uh, quaternary tertiary, community hospitals, critical access hospitals, they will really have that full gamut of, of different um, care care settings mm-hmm. that um, will be part of this, are part of this. Michigan, uh, Michigan medicine umbrella that stretches from Ann Arbor to Sparrow to Michigan West over in Grand Rapids. So that's, that's very exciting. I got to put the Michigan flag up the, up the flagpole. Um, Both my kids are Michigan grads. So that was a proud moment for me.
1: Congratulations. Thank you. Well, it's certainly going to be, you know, opportunities for you and uh, to let your light shine. Uh, and to be part of a bigger system. So congrats to you and and best wishes in that integration. It's always a challenge, that's for sure.
0: So what have you learned since becoming a rural hospital president? You've done this before, like you said, on an interim basis a couple times, but now you've been in this role for for quite a while. Is there any advice you have for someone who may be new to leading a rural hospital, whether as a president, CEO, or in another executive or leadership role?
2: Exactly. I think the the C-suite, you know, as we call it, gives you just a, a great platform to uh, reach out, connect with your community, figure out um, what they need from us. And then I, I I would be remiss if I did not give a plug to uh, succession planning and and lifting up that next generation of leaders. I've been very lucky and very grateful in in my position Rachel as a, as a female leader to be able to reach up and 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 help some of those young women and young men that are mm-hmm. coming behind me. but there's not been a ton of role models for me as a as a female executive as a female leader mm-hmm. and I, I love that. I can uh, be that for some of those young people and um, I think that that's always a really important aspect of our job, not just leading the hospital for now, but thinking about whose hands are we going to place it into in the next 10 years.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, um, so let's talk about some exciting things. Uh, you know, we, I, I know of your great work and uh, you've done remarkably well uh, during your presidency in a very tumultuous market, a very difficult time for healthcare, especially rural. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've indicated uh, you and I both have been part of Becker's Podcasts. Uh, and, you know, I have talked most recently uh, about the issue of the struggling rural hospitals across this country, but that they are the bedrock of those communities, uh, both economically and, of course, providing care uh, for the wellness of those communities. But, you know, uh, you've had a chance to bring some new and exciting things uh, to your local community to help bolster your position in the market. Can you share maybe one or two things that you are absolutely most excited that you're able to bring to a rural community?
2: Absolutely. So I, you know, I started this and we'll just go right back to it as an oncology nurse, uh, 30 years ago, uh, when I moved this to, to this community, we had very, very limited cancer care, uh, in Eaton County. Mm-hmm. And I've been able to bring, um, Spiral Medical Group oncologist who is board certified and has extensive background in, in breast cancer. And we are building a three and a half million dollar oncology and infusion center. Um, I had a very generous million dollar private donor in the community, wow. and wow. we were able to have uh, two million dollars earmarked out of the state budget for 2024 for this project. Wow. So I'm I'm just so proud. And, um, just my heart just shines to see something like that come for this community because, um, you know, that is something that has touched my life. I lost my brother to lung cancer when he was about 48 years old. Mm -hmm. And, um, I know the impact, you know, when I go out and talk to people in the community and I say, Raise your hand if you've if you've never had a cancer diagnosis in your family or friend group, not one person raises their hand. No, it doesn't
1: exist anymore. No, yeah. right. We've so it been touches touched
2: by it. it touches all yeah. of us. And um, I know what that's like to be hurting and painful and uh, to have to drive. And even if it's only twenty or twenty five miles, if you can bring that and and make that journey better and shorter and and more comfortable for your community, then that's exactly what you should do.
1: You know, I talk oftentimes here, I use the three P's uh, in, in my State of the Hospital address that I gave to our staff and, you know, we we, we have purpose, we certainly do, we can mm-hmm. see it, we have passion, generally speaking, the hard work of, of our staff, um, and the third P that, you know, it's very difficult is putting all that into practice. Um, because we just were so consumed by the day-to-day operations. And so, you know, watching you put your passion into practice uh, and seeing that in, in our rural communities makes such a difference. We were able recently to bring infusion services here. Uh, we're partnering with uh, a larger facility for cancer services. Uh, and to your point, you know, it's it's many times born out of our own conflicts and family struggles that we see a purpose mm-hmm. for creating a program. And um, my sister recently passed of cancer, young. My mother passed of cancer recently. Uh, it devastates us. And, you know, if there's one thing that we can do is to create a legacy uh, that the care that our loved ones would receive can be local. Um, there, is a, there is a misnomer that bigger is better. And I would argue that point. Uh, And that's been the purpose of this program is Mm -hmm. to say that our rural community hospitals are providing, uh, you know, some incredible care that community members cannot receive anywhere else because of transportation barriers, because they do not have the wherewithal financially to get to larger centers. We're it. We're, We're taking care of them in our local community clinics where they're either riding their bikes or riding with the Amish to get that care and we're dealing with multiple issues not just they're coming in with a cold. You know, we're talking about cancer diagnosis at the community uh, clinic level. We're talking about, you know, significant discoveries of growths and those type of things. And so putting these things into practice in rural communities, it's it's it is the future of of our when we think about the continuum of care, and we think about how we're going to lead in health care, we can't abandon our community hospitals. We can't abandon our communities and think that just because we have a bigger, beautiful facility in a larger community, that our patients will go there, because you and I both know quite well that that is not the case at all. So continue Absolutely. the good fight that you're fighting, uh, Helen, each and every day. Even though you're part of a big system, you are a smaller hospital. And uh, don't lose perspective of that, you know, would be the challenge that I give you, um, f- you know, from where you came and mm-hmm. uh, go back to those roots. I think it is so, so important uh, to, to do that. And I want to commend you for the work that you've done uh, to, you know, strengthen and bolster your community through the work that you've engaged in over the last almost three years now is uh, the CEO setting and casting the, the vision of of what you want that community to look like for the healthcare outcomes, and so I want to congratulate you for a job well done. Thank you. Uh, continue the great work that you do. We could talk for hours, um, and we're going to have you back on because I would you're going to talk. Of, we're going to talk about the shortages of nurses. We're going to talk about some nurse legislation that's very scary right now for staffing ratios. We're going to talk about a lot of things that are going to be important, and uh, love to have you back on the the podcast, provided that you would join us again uh, for another episode.
2: I could talk about healthcare twenty five hours a day. All if right, they gave me an <laughs> extra well, hour. Get you I up. would talk about it an extra hour. So,
1: well, we want to get you queued up. So once again, thanks for the work that you're doing. Uh, It is phenomenal to watch the great success of your hospital. Uh, And I'm going to tell you, to to the corporate folks listening to this, uh, you've got an amazing, passionate worker uh, in your president uh, in Eaton. So keep up the great work, Helen, and we look forward to future episodes here at Rural Health Rising. So thanks for joining us again today.
2: Thanks, JJ. And
1: before we close... We like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. Uh, This is Rural Health Rising, so we got to talk about something (laughs) rural, right? And we've interviewed guests that have never even stepped foot into rural America, but they have a story maybe that's indicative of of rural life. So we want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life?
2: So um, I was a home care nurse in Marquette County in the 90s. And I had to snowshoe in to one of my patients' homes, <laughs> uh, half a mile in to this gentleman's home. And on the way out, I had to tuck his lab lab vials into my shirt so they didn't freeze on the way out. Oh no! So, oh my gosh! That is um, our ad because uh, they used to have phone books back then, Rachel. They, uh, our ad on the back of the phone book
0: actually said, you
1: in a,
2: <laughs>
0: all weather, all terrain nursing.
1: Oh, that's hilarious. That is awesome. That is awesome. That's
0: yeah. very rural and also very Michigan, I feel. Yes,
1: we had yes. Uh, snowmobiles here last year of staff writing to work and to get to work. It's very common
2: Done it. uh, in these Been rural there. communities. But, yes. but
1: snowshoes, that's, that's my first. I, that's, yep. that's the first I've heard. So. As
2: a home care nurse. And that, you know, I, I feel like the home care thing was such a blessing for me to see people kind of in situ, like in their own space, and
0: mm-hmm.
2: even in rural healthcare, we have we are so blessed with all of the resources we have within a hospital. And when you go out and see the struggles of some of your community and and the people you're taking care of, and you wonder why they're, you know, in air quotes non compliant,
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: yeah, their their lives are hard. It is, and, it, and it's very important that we, we are sensitive to that and respect that Agree. when they come in and we're giving care to them. Agree. Amen.
1: Awesome. Well, again, thanks for joining us today on Rural Health Rising.
2: Have a great rest of the
0: week.
1: Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in.
0: And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen, too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising.
1: And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong.
0: Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by JJ Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.